So what's going on, guys? This is Slightly Educational Podcast, the first episode of Season 2. As always, I'm Seth. And we have a special guest here, our friend Colin Martinez. Um, and we're here to talk about Andrew Yang, you know, the current political climate. We've been following this since our first episode, and we brought it up again in our season finale. So uh, Colin here is a very strong Andrew Yang supporter, just like myself. What's interesting about Colin, though, is he, as far as I've known him, he's been a staunch conservative. And obviously Andrew Yang is not the most conservative candidate at all in any way, shape, or form. So Colin, what led to your... Uh, what led to your transition into going from, you know, being a hardcore conservative to uh, being a Yang supporter? Well, uh, I'd say all, all the memes, you know, he's such a great meme candidate. Really? Yeah, that, I, that got me hooked into him, but that's not why I stayed with him. I don't know, he, he grabbed my attention with the memes, but hooked me in with his policies, because he's the only policy-driven candidate, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, but universal basic income obviously is driving policy. Isn't um, isn't a very like like typical policy that a conservative would have. I just want to know like going like ha- going from conservative politics to like a super liberal candidate like Yang. Like, was there anything that stood out to you? Because obviously there are policy driven candidates on both sides. So what about Yang's policy really? Um, kind of hooked you in, you know. For me, I think it was like when I first heard about universal basic income, it was actually on this show with Gabe and Gabe told me I had no idea what it was. I kind of dismissed the idea, but reading more into it, I think that what he says about automation is a good point about taking jobs. And I think that universal basic income, you know, with all these jobs taken, it's going to hit us very hard. And I think it'd be good to have that security blanket, I mean, like that, he always said. That's his only policy that can bring in. He's a single issue candidate. No. What's his other policy? You've seen his website? I checked check that out earlier today. He has like a hundred policies with in-depth analysis on each one. Mm-hmm. He does, and he tweets a lot, like a lot. new policy idea. I swear, there's like a new policy idea, like every day. Yeah, every day. Um, I like the one he he's very strong on legalization of marijuana too, which is something that I'm super passionate about. And he says that he's gonna dismiss uh, the charges on 420. Yeah, on 420. That's his master plan to like dismiss all the drug-related charges on 420. Gabe, we touched on earlier um, our one of our other episodes about how you're still like a big supporter of Bernie Sanders. Do yeah. you want to tell why, give more of your viewpoint on why you think Sanders is the superior candidate over the other Democratic candidates? Um, over the other Democratic candidates, I think Bernie Sanders seems more... Well, one, I think it's just the fact I'm further left-leaning. So most of the other candidates... Or, you know, most, a lot of the other candidates are moderates, like Buttigieg mm-hmm. or Klobuchar, people like that. And I think Bernie is a better chance of winning than, like, say, like Elizabeth Warren or something, someone else more further left. That's why I support Bernie Sanders. Over uh, Bernie Sanders over Andrew Yang, I mean, Andrew Yang won't even have politi- any political experience. Not that that's, like, a requirement or anything. Yeah, obviously we saw him in the last <laughs> election, yeah. But, um, I don't know. Even though, I guess, obviously, he's not a single issue, but, like, his biggest issue is universal space income. That's what got him on the stage. Mm-hmm. And that's still what he, that's still, like, most stuff that he's, like, trying to do. That's his big goal. Like, even on his front page, it's, like, on his website, it's universal basic income, like when he first comes up. Yeah, it's his driving issue, but it's not his only issue. I understand, like, obviously he's running president, so obviously he's not going to answer every single question with universal basic income. He has to have some other things, but, like, that's, that's like, that's his main thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know, what what brought you, Colin, a conservative, into liking his universal basic income plan? Well, I, initially I was skeptical, like Seth, because, I don't know, it's like free money. It, it sounds really, like communism. Yeah, it doesn't really sound right, but then I read more into it, and... 
that economics doesn't seem pretty sound and Milton Friedman supported it and he, you know he's like the most conservative economist mm-hmm. or at least the most famous one and I like him a lot so I uh, I don't know I got hooked into it I think where Yang just works yeah I like his policies though I think where Yang lacks and where Bernie may have the advantage, and Joe Biden definitely has this advantage, and I think it was one of the things about Trump, like why, like, is the charisma. I think Yang does lack charisma. I think that's going to be something on the debates that is, um, he's kind of like, like nerdy. He's like, too smart for his own good. Yeah, in yeah. The, in the field. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I feel like, I feel like a lot of voters aren't, vote, they're voting for the person as much as they're voting for the policy. You know what I mean? I well, think that's, that's why, why, that's why yeah, Buttigieg is doing That's why Buttigieg is so well in the polls. I, he doesn't really have many policies. He doesn't have He's many. It's all about, them. like, you know, we got to come together. And I mean, I like him, but I wouldn't vote for him, really. Would you vote for him? Would you vote for a Democratic candidate over Trump if Yang didn't get the prime, if Yang didn't get the nomination? Probably not. So, so what, uh, so what, what is pulling you to Yang if, uh, besides the universe based income? What other policy then? I like his, I just like the way he goes about himself. You know, he's not, I don't really like politicians that much, and mm-hmm. Yang isn't one. Mm-hmm. He's young, uh, he can be a change of uh, a lot. A Yang. Yeah. <laughs> a change of, like, because he's, cause he's, what, Asian or young? Both, um, everything. Just, he's not your typical president. Mm-hmm. But why, why would that specifically be good for president, not, not your typical president? Because why is it good to have the typical president every time? Yeah, because, I think because experience is part of like what makes you good at your job. Yeah, but it's also you want to like we've had these failures in the American government, you know, with the career politicians. You know, obviously there are some things that they are unable to get done, and I think there is this drive. A lot of people see the American political system as kind of like swampy. Obviously, we heard Trump saying like drain the swamp. Obviously, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think he really drained it. I think. Mm, maybe just filled it with another kind of muck. But um, I think there is this, like, desire. And we saw it with Trump getting election. We see it with people like Bernie Sanders or yeah. Andrew Yang. Like, ten, ten years ago, not, these guys wouldn't yeah, have stand I a chance agree. to the desire to, like, kind of bring in new new ideas in a new system. Yeah, but, like, at the same time, having an outsider for the sake of having an outsider is kind of like getting a pilot who's not, like, a certified airplane pilot mm-hmm. just because there have been crashes in the past with certified mm-hmm. pilots. So what do you think are the advantages of having a career politician? That they, that they know what they're doing. Like, someone who's had experience in, like, an executive position, like governor or mayor or whatever, knows, like, the trade, I guess, how the position works, how president works or whatever. Not saying Andrew Yang doesn't know what president yeah. is, of course, but, like, he's and he's, smart, he's a smart guy, too, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a big position to play. It's a big position to fill, and you have to know what you're doing as president. Yeah. I think, I do think he is a very, very idealistic candidate. I think... But I think he's going to bring attention to universal basic income and his other policies. Obviously, universal basic income being the driving policy. I think that we uh, learned about how Ross Perot, you know, brought the balancing the budget. Obviously, he didn't have a like snowball's chance in hell at winning the actual election, but he brought that whole idea of balancing the budget to the main ticket and to the you know big screen. And I think Andrew Yang could do the same with universal basic income. I th- yeah, I, I think that's the whole point of his campaign. I don't, he's not running to win. I think he's running to bring the issue up onto the debate stage, mm-hmm. which is why his goal his goal wasn't to get like enough support to get to the debate. His goal was to get enough donations to get to the debate, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever sixty five. He's both though. He's both probably now, but like that was that was his main goal originally, mm-hmm. getting onto the debate stage, putting up his platform. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of like. With Yang, a lot of people I still think don't know much about him. I think he's very only popular with like the R demographic. Yeah, young, with, 
I guess he. I, I think his most appealing demographic is young white males. Yeah. I'm not that I'm that, but <laughs> <laughs> you're two yeah. of the three. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think he will make some noise on the debate stage, definitely. For sure. If he if he's as composed as he is in interviews and. Even you saw him at Ben Shapiro's podcast. Ben Shapiro, one of the um, did you did you listen to it? I did on him on Ben Shapiro. Yeah, no, Ben Shapiro. I don't agree with most of what he says, but I respect him. I think he's a very smart dude. He's a very smart guy. First, um, he talks too much. He talks a lot and likes to smell his own ass a little too much. But um, (laughs) I think like seeing Yang even composed in that kind of setting and able to like kind of rebuttal what um, Ben Shapiro was saying, you know, is something a lot of people struggle with. If you watch a lot of his videos. He kind of like is good at like trapping people in debates, so I think that was definitely something that. Um, and he didn't get uh, hostile at all. Yeah. Like he, you know, he stayed mm-hmm. perfect. Thanks. Yeah, but um, so Colin, do you see like, did have any of your priorities shifted over since over the last four years since the Trump election? Because I remember you were a big, big Trump guy. You wore the socks and everything the, <laughs> the day he got elected. So have any of like your values, your conservative values or priorities shifted over the last four years that kind of led to this change in political opinion that you've had? Well, certainly my goals haven't changed. Like, you know, having employment and people not uh, poor mm-hmm. because they don't have a job or mm-hmm. and Was that you your know, goal as a Republican? Yeah, I, I don't I don't want, uh, you know, jobless people and president has shown that he's doing just that he's making jobs and i will give him that i will like the numbers don't lie the employment has gone up with donald trump whether that's a permanent thing or an effect of donald trump i can't tell let's hope it's permanent yeah because i feel like and obviously i'm not the most qualified person to speak on this issue and uh disagree with me if you will but i feel like the president the impact that some that they have on the uh economy as a whole i feel like can sometimes be like it's not that yeah, like I feel like the economy is more of like a natural thing, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I don't think Trump shouldn't get that much credit for employment as much as Obama shouldn't get that much credit for employment because mm-hmm. none of them really have that much sway over the employment numbers mm-hmm. or figures or whatever. But like at the same, like for someone like you, Colin, like I feel like there's more to the president than just whatever policy they run on because obviously most of the time, like Trump's biggest thing was the wall, right? And obviously that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So like what makes you so sure that, I mean, you're probably not sure, but like, Getting Andrew Yang elected to president is not necessarily going to see a universal basic income plan for. Oh no, I don't expect it at all. I just so then what? Want it to be an idea because I don't know if we need it right now, but at some point in the future we are definitely going to need universal basic income because mm-hmm. you know when half the people are have their jobs automated away, they're, what are they going to have? They're going to have nothing, right? What do you think it's going to take for Americans to get to that point? Where obviously now they're um, if you proposed a bill like universal basic income, that'd be so radical. In Congress, it obviously gets shot down very yeah, quickly. Yeah, committee. But. Yeah, what do you think is going to have to take for Americans, especially conservative Americans, to realize that this is a something that we will need? Do you think it's going to take the loss of, like, once they start losing their jobs and droves, then that's when they'll finally be able to say? Because I feel like at a, a here, something very tragic has to happen to us in order for us to change our opinions. A lot of us are set in our ways, very staunch in our ways. So what is there an event that you think will happen in the future that either you guys think will happen in the future that will get American citizens to this point where they're like, we need to actually make change? Or do you think it's kind of starting and that we're already able to see it? You know, um, I think it's starting with Yang, but uh, it's not really going to get majority support, like overwhelming majority support from Americans until uh, 
automation really speeds up because you know millions of manufacturing jobs have already been automated away but mm-hmm. that was really that was pretty slow mm-hmm. so once it happens like really quickly like every month you're losing thousands of jobs then it's really going to have more support well then do you think it's the most pressing issue then to push for universal basic income when there are other issues that we have other candidates are running against like whatever climate change or even healthcare. well i don't i mean i i know he's he has a lot of the same climate change ideas as a lot of the other Democrats. I don't agree with uh, the healthcare ideas of the whole Democratic field. Why? Uh, why? I just you? don't like. I don't really like uh, universal healthcare or mm-hmm. uh, single payer healthcare. Because mm-hmm. it's unfeasible in the United States. Wait, wait, wait. that's unfeasible. But giving a thousand dollars to everyone. Yeah, can... because it's way cheaper. Yeah, because so 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 you'd be fine with people, I guess, just like not being able to afford healthcare with their thousand dollars. Well, I mean, yeah, you can say yeah, you can say yeah. There's nothing nothing wrong saying that. But um, just universal basic income after all the uh, welfare reforms that he would make and implementing it, it would cost about what one and a half trillion dollars a year. But uh, what was the last estimate for Medicare for all? Like twenty trillion a year. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't, I don't even think that there's enough money to pay for that. How would there not be enough money to? Because the economy is like twenty trillion dollars itself. I don't know if there's literally. How would there be more money? <laughs> there's more money that it costs for healthcare than there is money in the U.S. You know, yeah, that's say? what the uh, CBO. You know, you'd raise, something, it was something around there. It was. Well, obviously, you wouldn't be able to do it with the current tax rate. You'd have to raise taxes. But even Andrew Yang's universal basic income would employee tax. You do uh, what's it called? Yeah, value added tax, which I'm totally cool with. Would you like to explain the value added tax a little? Because I feel like we've never really. Well, I don't really fully yeah. understand it. Neither do I. Well, yeah. I know it's uh yeah, it's, it's, it's like a sales tax ish. Yeah, so of. it's it's kind of like sales tax, except it's not applied at the end. So on sales tax, obviously, you, the consumer pays taxes at the end when they buy the products. Value added tax means every time the product is like traded hands, mm-hmm. it's like it's like wood comes to lumber, then they'll pay tax on that. So it's taxes down down the line, I guess, down the chain. So it's similar to a sales tax, and that's how how Yang is trying to do it. But I feel like. Value added tax is kind of like sales tax in that it's a regressive tax, which means that it disproportionately affects lower income people, mm-hmm. which goes against kind of his new. I feel like that's most taxes, though. No, because income tax doesn't. Yeah, you're right. So, like, I don't know, funding this value off of value added tax on top of the fact that if you're uh, if you're already receiving welfare, that it cuts either like it's it's either, it's either or. So it's oh this this whole plan is basically going to disproportionately affect poor people. So as like, what policies are you attracted to that? Instead of universal basic income, that would, you know, do you want to yeah. increase funding and welfare? And yeah, definitely. I'd, I guess I'm the opposite call. I'd prefer, like, Medicare for All or something like that. Because I think it's important for people to be able to get, I guess, get, get the care they need. It's the government, it should be the government's job to ensure the welfare of uh, citizens. And I, I'd even support things like uh, free, like, community college and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, I, I wouldn't be yeah. completely opposed to free community college, but I'm definitely not for free so what, what, college. So well, yeah. that's what the plan. The free it'd be like it wouldn't be free. Like they wouldn't pay for your private. Whatever. No, I mean like community college. I, I'd be fine making that. But when Bernie Sanders not, talks like, about like four-year universities, I, I wouldn't want it to be free. Maybe definitely cheaper because I think they definitely should be cheaper. Yeah, I don't think in-state should ever see like twenty thousand dollars for tuition. Yeah, I don't think in-state school like um, a certain in-state school I applied got in and it was twenty-nine thousand dollars for a, a year for me to go. Yeah, which is. Kind of, I think it definitely should be lowered, but also like with a free community college, the price of college would already be lowered because more people would be going to community college, so then they'd only have to do two years at a higher 
mm-hmm. higher learning system. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I take it back. I, I think I'd support three, four-year college, too. Three, four. It's just, it doesn't really, like, the people who it would be affecting the most, who would be helping the most are the people who, in the grand scope of things, don't really need the help that mm-hmm. it has. Like, majority of Americans don't have a college degree, and majority of poor Americans certainly don't have a Yeah, but an increasing degree. amount of people are going to college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but them for the making it free wouldn't make it any easier to go to college. It would make it harder because more people would apply. Yeah, but if more people apply, it means more people are going to college. Period. Well, if more people apply, then less people are gonna, a less a smaller proportion of people are gonna get in. The same amount of people are gonna get in. In fact, when it's free, when it's free, they're probably gonna accept less people because they're gonna have less money to pay for it. Because why would they have less money? They're literally because getting they're not money. Tuition. The, they're getting money from the government. The government is <laughs> handling their tuition. The money's not going away. Yeah, but at some point the money's gonna run out. Money from run out from where? I'm not making sense right now. Sorry. That's what's right. But um, what are you saying? So yeah, so you used to you support like an early community college, right? But you wouldn't support. I support cheaper college, just cheaper not college. free. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't that, that's, that seems pretty similar? The fact that they're paying for it at all, I mean, money could run out there too. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Colin though. I think that. Certain state institutions should be free for the public, but I think that we can't really just make college free because of a lot of the amenities that we get at college. I feel like we kind of take for granted that our tuition goes paying, like you know, the, like a gym at the school or like uh, all the food in the in the cafeteria. You know, and if, and if it's a lot of money, the quality of education, right? Like definitely increases because there's there's a more school. there's a better incentive yeah, for professors to go work. The there. price of a school is not like directly to the tuition at the school mm-hmm. like you can get a great education and you're in state school and it doesn't cost as much of a ton of private colleges which might not even be as great I think there should be like an actual number so Colin you're Mormon you give um, dues to the church and that gets deducted from when you want to go to BYU mm-hmm. that's how the system works sort of, it's like subsidized yeah it, you give 10% of your uh, you decide if it's net or gross income uh, per year but and then all of that money goes to run the church and a lot of it goes to the schools that they have that I won't be going to. Um, and that makes the schools like the cheapest in the country. So, Do you think we could implement a system like the Mormon church does with BYU to the U.S. college system as a whole? I mean, theoretically, <coughs> but there are only four schools for the church to fund. Yeah. There are like, it'll be, what, a thousand? What do you mean set up like the Mormon? Are you are you talking like collect taxes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like have a certain <laughs> have a certain like subsidized tuition that goes to the college that then your kids or that's you what, will. That's what taxes are. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, but I'm talking like a specific number like that's getting deducted because I feel like we we fund the state schools with our taxes, but is that tax money that we're putting in getting deducted from our tuition or would the tuition cost yeah, the same? Yeah, of course. Like every dollar you put in does not necessarily mean a dollar off your tuition <laughs> on taxes. But in the same way, like a dollar to take out for your social security or for your Medicare fund is not directly going to you personally. It's pulled through up through the larger people. And matter of fact, if it is, if they would propose stuff like uh, free college tuition, if it's on a national scale, then that money might go to D.C. first and then come back to you. So it depends what state you live in what's, and how much taxes your state pays towards the thing. Do you have an idea of like, what you believe is a way America could implement, it, uh, implement a free college system that would... Like in, in your idea, how do you see that system happening, or how do you see Medicaid for all happening? Like, what changes will we need to make in our taxes? Yeah, well, you need. I think you need. You need to raise taxes, and especially you need to raise taxes on, like, the higher income people, mm-hmm. with more 
market with higher marginal tax rates to be able to pay for. Well, at some point you're gonna there's gonna be no money left to tax on them because the richest one percent would make up like one trillion dollars, if even, and that's enough money to fund like no nothing. The richest ten percent make up like ninety percent of the wealth of the U.S. I mean, I, I don't, don't quote me on that. I'm <laughs> talking the one, the money that uh, the people that uh, like a seventy percent marginal income tax would. Yeah, affect. I'm not saying spend only seventy percent marginal tax rate, and then I'm just everyone saying else like that's you still pull in taxes from everyone else too. Yeah, but at some you're gonna have to tax middle class people too if you want to have these programs. I understand that. that. I never said we wouldn't tax middle class people. I know it's just people. you got to mention it. Cause yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying right now is that. Richer people disproportionately don't pay like they are. They are people who are most likely to like avoid taxes and find like loopholes because they they are in the position to be able to do so, right? Middle class people aren't dodging taxes. People with like their tax havens in Ireland or the Virgin Islands are the ones dodging taxes, right? So I understand that we'll have to raise taxes on everybody, but taxes on the rich should raise even higher than taxes on the middle class. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Do you support AOC? She talks about. I think we've talked about this we've before. Is there seventy percent in um, income tax? Do you want to explain? Obviously, it's not like oh, your entire you're giving seventy yeah, percent of your, your income, income over ten million dollars. Seventy percent. And do you support that? Do you think we could go higher with that number? I think that that's a little little high. Yeah. Um, seventy percent. I just I get it that it's over ten million dollars, and that's probably like, like chump change for those rich people. But I think that is a little like, if once we raise it to a certain point, I feel like when it, when do we stop? Like when to, when is there like a limit that we'd put on, or do we just keep raising and raising and raising? I, mean, no. I don't think it's ever gonna be hundred percent, but um, well, I don't like. <laughs> it's like, let's hope not. Ten, like over ten million. That's already a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think like these guys aren't starving because they're taxed seventy percent. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why that's too much. Mm-hmm. I, I think you should raise the marginal income tax on ten million dollars, but not seventy percent. That's just a little higher. What is? Do you guys know the current one? By I think it's like forty. Forty percent. Yeah, I think it could there. be raised maybe like fifty, sixty. Honestly, I don't know. I, I feel like I'd have to see it in practice, but. It's not that many people. Like even Jeff Bezos, that wouldn't even apply to him because he only makes like eighty thousand dollars a year from his income. Yeah. When you are tax capital gains tax. Yeah. That's a capital that's gain. That's how he. That's why he has such a low income because when you have a zero, a net zero salary, then your capital gains tax is zero percent. So that's why he pays no taxes. Hmm. Which is also another problem the fact that. Yeah, like the capital gains tax should be based. Not on your. I don't think. I think it should be based on your net worth, not on your income. Yeah, but okay. Moving on to a different topic that is p- kind of unrelated to Andrew Yang that I really want to talk about. Colin, have you seen Endgame? <laughs> Avengers yeah, Endgame. Yeah. 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 Spoiler alert. Spoilers starting at 22, 23 minutes. Yeah, twenty three minutes. Um, around that. That's where it is right now. It may change if we cut decide to cut some things out of this episode. What did? Yeah. I mean. Everyone's kind of seen it at this point. And what did you guys think about the ending? Um, the ending? Yeah, or just like the movie as a whole. Because um, it definitely wasn't what we were used to seeing from an Avengers movie. I mean, movie. it was awesome. I, I loved the movie. Did you like it better than Infinity War? I did, yeah. Why? Well, like, what? what and go in-depth on the plot. Because Infinity War was awesome. Not knocking Infinity War. It's just there's more uh, emotion to this movie, more attachment to the characters. Because Infinity War, they were fading a lot into that movie. Like all these side stories, like with Thor and Rocket and Groot, uh, and then you have the Titan storyline and Thanos himself and Gamora and the Earth storyline, and in an Endgame, it's all kind of one storyline. It's easy to follow. Not that Infinity War is hard to follow. It's just um, Endgame was a lot, but it didn't feel as 
overstuffed as Infinity War. Yeah, I felt like some parts. First of all, Endgame. Did you guys understand what they were talking about with like the different timelines? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I didn't <laughs> really. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. I didn't really like. <laughs> I've thought a lot about this. So do you? Can you explain to me kind of what they're like? What they what they were trying to do and what like because I remember in the beginning Tony Stark was like very tentative about the idea of time travel because he didn't want to lose his daughter and his family that he's had since the Thanos incident happened. But then they talked about all these like alternate timelines and then like all these people were able to come back with without anyone leaving and how did how did that work? Well, from my understanding of it, um, so our understanding of time travel like from Back to the Future is just not how it works they say, which is mm. true. It's not really how time travel would work. You don't go back to your past and change something. So if you go back to the past and change something, you're not going to affect what happens to you. Mm. It's like, say you go back in time and do what uh, Marty McFly did in Back to the Future. You're not going to lose yourself because of you're interrupting your parents meeting each other. You're just going to create a new timeline where they didn't know each other so yours is still intact but you're just creating another one where what happened in your timeline didn't happen so then how did they get that people back because that was the part that really because happened. that's in their timeline they just go and get the infinity stones from other another timelines, timeline um and then go in theirs and snap back and everyone comes back gabe what do you think about endgame yeah um i thought it was a good movie but um i I thought it was a better movie than Infinity War, but I didn't like it better than Infinity War. I don't know, I don't know why. Infinity War really like was just so cool. Like yeah, I was telling Gabe about this. We talked on the other episode. Did you ever play Super Smash with this ball? The do the campaign story mode? No. Oh well in the campaign oh, story mode, yeah. First <laughs> of all, I highly recommend it, but they have like different pairings. So they have like Pikachu and Samus is like one storyline, which is like just two completely uh two characters that would never cross each other. Wario and Fox from Star Fox one timeline. That's what I really liked about Infinity Wars. It was kind of like these combinations that you wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. see. And I think in Endgame, one of the things I didn't like is that obviously that all those superheroes had died, or like I, I guess technically died from the Thanos incident in the end yeah, of Infinity War. They disappeared. They're, yeah. So then, um, I don't know. I, I felt like there were some heroes that I feel like it could have added some to Endgame. Like Spider-Man, definitely his charisma and his energy definitely could have added some. I also felt like there was a lot of forced emotion in Endgame, um, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really that sad even when like Tony Stark died. I felt like it was kind of really? like drawn out. Yeah. Well, did you see Iron Man in the theaters when it came out? Iron Man? Uh, I saw Iron Man 2. Okay. I didn't. I never saw I, Iron I, Man I saw Iron Man in theaters. Um, so I think that might have added to it because, you know, I've been watching him for 11 years. Because mm-hmm. that, that was definitely a, a sad moment when he died. Yeah. Do you Have you heard any like fan theories or do you guys have any ideas of what they should do? moving forward with the Avengers do you think they're going to replace Iron Man and no. so there's just going to be no more Iron Man movies well they're not Tony Stark yeah maybe they'll do like Iron Heart or something like the new one uh, young black woman I don't know I don't really know much about her I just know that she exists there is this like increasing amount of um, black superheroes yeah. at the end of Endgame what was the guy's name who's like Captain America like the, the black dude Black Panther Falcon Falcon he was like I felt like that was an indicator when uh, Captain America gave him his shield that he was about to become the next I think he's in the comics oh. definitely right? yeah. yeah he did but the actor said that he's not Captain America because he has his own TV show coming out uh, called 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Winter Soldier and Falcon on the yep. new Disney on a Disney service. streaming service. Yeah. They have, they have a a Falcon and Winter Soldier show, a Wanda and Vision, uh Scarlet Witch and Vision show. Yeah. That Loki Disney and Hawkeye. The Disney stream, streaming service is about to I think just immediately jump up because of all the content. And it's only seven dollars a month. Really? It's only yeah. seven dollars a month. Seven dollars a month. I didn't get why. Are is Hulu still going to exist as a streaming mm-hmm. service? But you yeah. have Hulu free with Spotify, right? Yeah, and with um, Sprint. Sign up for Sprint, get free Hulu. Um, yeah, Hulu is now owned by Disney majority, so Disney's going to oh, put yeah. all their uh, more adult content that they got from the Fox deal onto Hulu and keep Disney Plus uh, more family friendly, like nothing rated R on Disney Plus. Hmm. That's a good idea. It's about there's gonna be so much good content. There's like, there's like an oversaturation saturation. I feel with streaming services like there's just so many. I feel like. Well, when it's Disney, I mean they are kind of immune to that. I think because they're Disney, right? But like, isn't like Apple also trying to make streaming services? Yeah, and theirs is gonna be trash because. Yeah. yeah, but there's just there's like so many. I feel like because they've never done anything entertainment, and now they're trying to get into entertainment. Well, that's how these things start up, right? I, 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 I mean, like Disney's been doing entertainment. Well, I know Disney, Disney, but like people started Hulu and Netflix. Can do entertainment before they did. Well, the, yeah, they did because Hulu was started by the four major uh, oh, studios. Yeah, right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the streaming services—I don't think there's oversaturation. I think it's just a, a sign of the times. More that instead of you know watching everything on Fox, watching it on ABC, yeah, watching but the whole appeal of the streaming services, which you didn't have to pay for cable, and then you end up paying like the same cost of your bill. Well, you don't have to pay for all of them. Obviously, yeah, obviously you don't have to pay for all of them. Still. And there you is like a DC Universe or whatever. It's catered to you, you know? I can turn on the TV and go look at as many channels as I want, but I'm not going to get to pick the programming. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? On these streaming services, it is kind of catered to you. But I didn't realize, I was actually reading about it the other day. I didn't realize like, the actual scope of all the things Disney owned. So ESPN. It's like a big company. ESPN, ABC, Hulu, Fox. Yeah, they, uh, the top 10 of the top 10... Um, Movie studios in the world, Disney owns like three of them, like three or four of them. It's like 20th Century Fox, Fox Searchlight Pictures, Disney, and then um, Marvel. Like you look at all the movies that have made more than a billion dollars worldwide and half of them are Disney. Yeah. Do you think this is a problem of Disney dominating the industry? Like, do you think that there is some monopolization in the industry? That's politics. Yeah. Bringing it back full circle. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I don't. Disney's not a monopoly. They're. Uh, I mean, it's kind of impossible for them to be a monopoly by, uh, you know, the DOJ standards because they don't have a uh, market share and a majority market share, overwhelming majority market share in one market. They have a sizable market share in a lot of markets. It's kind of like Amazon. You know, Disney has their sports network, their news network, their TV network, their movie uh, distributor they're, co- they're a couple movie uh, production studios they are the leading uh, movie distributor in box office terms but they do not have a majority and even after buying Fox they still don't have a majority so sure it's not necessarily great that the industry is consolidating um, but you know yeah. I think think they could lump all those things that Disney does as a, into a whole thing and be like they just consider it like the media industry be like oh Disney has a monopoly here Amazon has a monopoly here can you see because these, com- these companies aren't going to slow down they're going to keep growing and growing Do you, can you see this like Amazon and Disney escalating to a point where the government has to step in well, and say I, I agree Colin I don't think Disney doesn't have a monopoly because they're like they're like what like six big things like Disney CBS 
Mm-hmm. NBC Universal. NBC Universal. No, Fox. Not Fox. Not anymore. <laughs> Part of well, Disney. No, but like the Fox. The rest. You're of talking it. like news. Yeah, but Fox, the, the, what Time yeah, Warner? Yeah, I mean, Fox still Warner. exists. Time Warner, AT&T, Time Warner, yeah, that's the big yeah, one. Yeah, that's another consolidation yeah. thing. So, I mean, it's mostly, it's not, it's not Monopoly, but it's like, it's, what's the word for it? It's not duopoly either. It's whatever it is. Oligopoly. Oligopoly, Oligopoly. Yeah. yeah. Where multiple, multiple companies dominate market share, which kind of prevents other people from coming up. But it, and it's it's a hard industry to cough in, right? It's mm-hmm. hard to start your own recording studio or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it could be a case where it's like a natural oligopoly where it's just hard to start, like airlines or something. Where mm-hmm. it's just, the cost to go into the industry is too high. But I don't think Disney is the most pressing like monopoly. If anything, I feel like the people, like the cable providers are more pressing, like Comcast, Oh, yeah. NBC. I mean, they're actually like a monopoly. Yeah. It's not li- in literal terms, but they have monopolies in regions, right? Like they have, there are certain neighborhoods where you can only get Comcast mm-hmm. or you can only get Verizon. That's a monopoly. There's not really any competition there. Yeah, that's a more pressing monopoly, I think, than Disney. Yeah. But uh, do you think the cable companies are going to suffer? Obviously, they, they... Oh, no, they're not going to suffer. What do you mean suffer? For, from the growing streaming services. They're profiting you know? off of it. I, NBC, like, these companies are all owned by like streaming services. NBC, whatever, yeah. Comcast. I mean, that's why they're buying so much other stuff, so they can diversify and keep making money. Mm-hmm. AT&T, uh, I guess, I think they have their own cable company. Well, AT&T, Time Warner is one company. Yeah, and I mean, and then they bought Time Warner and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then did you hear T-Mobile and Sprint are trying it? They're trying to merge. I trying think, they, yeah, that. they got to prove that. That's too. just them trying to survive. Yeah, because AT&T and Verizon are obviously a lot AT&T and Verizon were already split up like 20 years ago, right? It used to be like Bell. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, they were, they were the original like phone company, Bell, or, or whatever it's called, Tele- Telecommunications. And they got split up into like a bunch of different companies called like Baby Bells or whatever. Mm-hmm. And slowly, they kind of like merging again. Yeah. And now we have four telecom companies and maybe three. I just want to see Cricket rise up. That's, that's what I want to see. Cricket Metro PCS. But yeah. that's a, it's also that's also another industry where it's hard. Like you can't just build cell towers wherever you want. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard thing to come up in. And I think like, and same with internet providers too. Like I think Google tried to do something a while back where they set their Google own, Fiber. Google Fiber. Yeah. yeah. Set their own internet provider, and then they like got pushed out by the uh, existing companies. Yeah, and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So it's it's hard it's hard industries to get in that these monopolies start to rise up in. I mean, I think oligopoly is. Probably what's best for the consumer because oh, that does. <laughs> I feel like when when a straight competition be better for the consumer. Well, because in a true and perfect competition, there would be too much. It would be overwhelming for the consumer. With oligopoly, it's simple. Monopoly, obviously, there's one company like controlling it. But with oligopoly, there is a considerable amount of competition, but not too much to overwhelm the consumer. Overwhelm, but like for stuff like internet, all you need to know is how fast. You don't need to know every single company's name. You need to know what the bandwidth they're providing you and the cost. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't you you don't need to like compare every all fifty service providers. But I think what you're saying with the natural oligopolies is that something like an internet provider or like you can like you were saying you can only have so many cell towers you can only have so many like mm-hmm. wavelengths. I think with media it's not as much of a natural oligopoly because there is more of a consumer mm-hmm. choice. Like you choose what you want to watch every time you watch something. You know you don't like it's not like oh you can only watch uh, ABC Family in this one neighborhood and you can only watch NBC in the other neighborhood. But so I think. It's less. I, I I would still say it's hard. It's obviously hard to make yeah. it in like the in the media industry, but it's a but it's 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 less hard I think, especially because there's a lot more outlets too. Yeah, but having choice doesn't necessarily stop you from having monopoly. Like Google recently got sued by the EU for unfair market practices for like putting their own products in the top of the Google searches or whatever, like like putting their own ads in the top of the Google searches. Right? You could choose to use Bing or Yahoo. 
But the fact is that they're using their dominant market position and they're abusing it and using it to promote their own products and giving themselves an unfair advantage over other competitors. But I don't see anything wrong with that if it's their it's their service that they're providing. I think they should have kind of autonomy yeah, but over that. The po- there's a there's a point where they're they're like what they're, there's no way for any other things to compete, right? If you want to advertise your product, you can't because Google owns the search engine, mm-hmm. right? So it's like it's like the search searching and then selling products are two different like industries, right? So why should Google be able to leverage its monopoly in one to like? Promote you're right you're right that does make a lot of sense actually i i don't know i i, I feel like it's kind of like the devil and angel on your shoulder sometimes with dealing like because a part of me a part of you is like wants more equal behavior for all wants these companies to be contained but then i feel like they're at least inside of me there's like the inner like serial entrepreneur and businessman that's like oh just like let the businesses do as, as they please you know give them autonomy over the product like if they create the product they have the right to sell it which is kind of I feel like it all culminates to a point for me with the pharmaceutical industry because obviously it's crooked. Obviously there's like some change that needs to be made, but there is like the argument that they are creating the drugs themselves or at least buying it from the people that created them and it's in their position. And I'm a firm believer that if it's your product, you should be able to sell it at however you want, you know? Even the pharmaceutical ones, the ones where people rely on their products to live? Even, yeah, even that, that's just, I mean, it's fucked and I think like obviously if you have AIDS you need your medicine but see I, that's what I'm saying the angel and the devil on your shoulder you know like obviously if you have AIDS you need your medicine but obviously if the company that owns the medicine and created the medicine like should have the autonomy to sell the medicine at the cost that they please you know no I'm not I'm not crying for <laughs> any farm execs or anything yeah they're fine conclude this episode yeah we're right on about the time that we were aiming for so that concludes this episode of slightly educational podcast season two episode one uh my name is seth goodwin as always and i'm colin yeah and see you guys next time peace out